to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. What we're doing is we're giving ourselves so that we can experience in ever greater ways the depth of the riches of the knowledge of God, whose ways are unsearchable, whose paths are beyond finding out. Listen, I'm as guilty as anybody on this, but listen, how is it that we have a relationship with the everlasting God and we settle for so much less most of the time? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29 in a message titled, The Law, Our Tutor to Bring Us to Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. As we look at the law... And as we take it to heart, it's to bring us to the place of recognizing, I am in trouble before God. Oh God, I need a savior. And of course, God has provided a savior. That's what Jesus is. He saves us from the penalty of our sins, which are violations of God's law. So that's the the work of the law. That's the, the job of the law. Now, let me, let me just say this too, that any person who somehow thinks that they are a Christian, but yet at the same time doesn't recognize their need for forgiveness is not a Christian. You see, you can't be a Christian and say something like, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I just never felt the need to be forgiven. If you've never felt the need to be forgiven then you're not forgiven. But you do need to be forgiven. You just haven't felt the need. You haven't, the the reality of what the law is hasn't hasn't hit home with you. You haven't allowed that conviction of the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is sent into the world to convict the world of sin. So if I'm saying I'm a Christian, but I've never been convicted of sin, then my Christianity is not a biblical Christianity. You see, biblical Christianity is a person has recognized, I am a sinner. I am undone. I am hopeless. Apart from intervention on the part of God, I am damned. I am doomed. That's the biblical picture. It's only those who recognize they need a Savior that are saved. Because, listen, Jesus is first and foremost before anything else in relation to man. He is a Savior. And make no mistake about that, because today, and it's not the only time it's ever been like this, but today people think, well, you know, Jesus is a good example. Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus was a martyr for a noble cause. Jesus is a savior. And he saves people from sin. And we are sinners. We have broken God's law. And the very purpose of the law is to show us that and to lead us to Christ. And so that's what he says. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Listen, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. 
Now think about the context here. The Galatians, they come to faith. They were already there. But now, under this deception, they're thinking, we got to go back under the tutor. Paul says, no, the, the, the purpose of the law was to lead you to where you are. And once you get there, the, the law is done. That it, its task has been accomplished. Again, in addressing similar things with the Roman church, the Jewish believers there, he, Paul said, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So when you come to Christ, the law has done its job and the law is now left behind. It's discarded at this point because it's done what it was intended to do. And that's what Paul says here. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For you are all sons of God. Now, verse 26, where it says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Just note this. Sometimes when you find this phrase, sons of God, like in the, in the King James Version, you'll find sons of God almost always, all the way through very consistently. But in newer translations, it'll read children of God. And in some cases, that's the way it should read, children of God. Because, of course, it's referring to all of God's children, not just sons, but daughters as well. But there are times when the term is intentionally sons of God. And here's the reason why. Because, again, in that culture, the son was the one who would enter into all the fullness of the inheritance that the father had for him. So when Paul uses sons of God in this sense, he's wanting us to understand not that there's not a male-female component to this because he's talking about this position. So we have all become sons of God through faith in Christ. In other words, we have all entered into the fullness of the blessing of the inheritance that God has for us in Christ. So that's what he's trying to get the Galatians to understand. And then he goes on and he says this. He says... There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Think about this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Why does he say this? Because these Greeks or these Gentiles were thinking they had to become Jews. That's what they were thinking. Oh, we're Gentiles. We're not really acceptable to God. Believing in Jesus was just step one. Now we've got to become Jews to really be acceptable. Paul said, no, in Christ, there, this distinction is gone. There is no Jew or Gentile, Jew or Greek. So get rid of that. But then also in the culture, you would have had these kinds of divisions where even transferring over into the spiritual realm, the free man would consider himself more acceptable to God than would the slave. And of course, the free man would think the slave was less acceptable to God. And because of the, the, the perspective on women, there would have been that same thought. So Paul just obliterates all of that within the culture. He says, in regard to the gospel, all of this is wiped out. We're all one now in Christ. There is no Jew or Greek. 
There is no slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Paul is just saying to them, he's saying, listen, you've, you, from day one, you've already had everything that you could ever want. And this little diversion that you've gone off on regarding the law, Paul is, you know, in a sense, he's just pleading with them, set this aside. This is, you know, you don't understand the law. Here, let me explain it to you. This is why the law existed, but it never was intended to enhance your relationship with God. That relationship that you uh, obtained through faith is, you can't improve on it. It's the, the greatest it could possibly be. Now, here's how I want us to understand this for ourselves today. It is so important that you know this, that I know this. It is important to know that in salvation, there are two positions or there's two ways of looking at our salvation. There's, we, look, we can look at it from God's point of view and we look at it from the human point of view. Now, here's what we need to understand. This is really important that we grasp this. From God's point of view, the very moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are perfected from God's point of view, and that can never be improved on. How, how can that be? Well, because you have been given the righteousness of Christ, and you can't improve on the righteousness of Christ. Jesus' righteousness is perfect. So positionally, it doesn't get any better than it is from the very start. It's as good as it will ever be. It's as good as it has to be. It can't be improved upon. From our position, we are in a perfect, permanent bond of love with our Heavenly Father. But then there is salvation from the experiential side. And this is where it relates to us here on the earth. So in heaven, Paul says in writing to the Ephesians, he says, we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. We're already there. As far as God's concerned, we're already there. Sitting in heaven with Christ. But from our point of view, we're still here, right? So it's the position and then there's the experience. So I have to lay hold of the truth of my position and when I understand my position, then when it comes to my experience, my experience is the right experience because it's not an experience of trying to work my way into God's favor positionally. I already know that I'm there. No, my experience then becomes just going deeper in my relationship with the Lord here. And listen, this is, this is something that it's hard sometimes, and for some people, it's really hard to get this truth into our minds because, you know, maybe we grew up with uh, just a heavy works mentality 
Maybe it was religiously imposed on us. Maybe it was just we, we grew up in an environment. Maybe it wasn't religious at all, but there was a heavy works mentality that was forced upon us. So we project that onto our relationship with God and we're somehow always thinking that I'm working my way into God's favor or I'm failing to obtain God's favor because I'm not doing that well. I had an 80-year-old woman say to me after the last service, thank you so much because this message really set me free because this is what I struggle with. And she's been in this church for 30 years. So that's how tenacious this thing can be in, in holding on to us and you know, causing us to live with a, with a constant sense of suspense about our ultimate salvation and, and a sense of failure and oftentimes a sense of guilt. So we've got to get hold of this. Positionally, I'm already there. But then what about my, my life here on earth? Well, what am I doing? I'm not trying to earn my way into favor with God. I already have that. What I'm doing here on earth now is I am cultivating the, the relationship that I have with God so I can here and now experience more the blessing of salvation or the way Paul puts it here, the, the blessing of Abraham. See, God says to Abraham, he says, I'm gonna bless you. Now, blessing means that God's gonna bestow his favor on you. So God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to, you know, all of these things. And he just, and then he says, and I'm going to make you a blessing to others. I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. And you know what? When we experience the blessing of God, you know what we automatically become? We become a blessing to others. And when you're living in God's blessing, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the love of Christ, a spirit of generosity and, and all those kinds of things, you just automatically become a blessing to others. So what we're doing now as believers, we are cultivating our relationship with the Lord, our fellowship with him, so that we can enter more fully into the blessing and thereby be a blessing to others. Now, I like this word cultivate. Maybe you've noticed that because I use it a lot. But think about it. Think about what it is to cultivate something. Think about a uh, you know, plant or something. When, when you're cultivating, you're, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're tending to it. You're, you know, you're, you're making sure that it's um, fed and watered and trimmed and you're making sure it's getting enough light and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're pulling out the little weeds and things like that because you're, you're wanting to do all you can to allow it to become all that it potentially can be. And so with our relationship with the Lord, this is what we're doing. We're, we're cultivating it. We're, we're, we're just investing in spiritual things. And it's like pulling out the weeds and fertilizing and, and uh, trimming it back and putting it in the, in the sun at the right time and in the shade at the other times. That This is all what's happening and it's causing our lives to grow into that mature, fruitful life that God intends for us. And then we become a blessing. Now, Paul, think about Paul 
Paul, of course, knew God. He knew God. But do you know what he said after decades of knowing God and serving God and walking with God? Do you know what he said? His great ambition was that I might know him. How is that? Paul, you already know him. Yes, I do, but I want to know him in ever greater ways. That would be the way he would respond. Paul said, this is my great ambition, that I would know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection out from among the dead. Now, some people think that Paul, some people actually think Paul was really confused about salvation. Sometimes he thought it was free by grace. Sometimes he thought you had to work for it. And that's one of the places where people say, see, Paul says, He's trying to attain to the resurrection. So he's working hard to, to hopefully make the resurrection on the last day. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about on the resurrection on the last day. What he's talking about when he says that I might attain to the resurrection, literally it should read out from among the dead. What Paul is saying is I want to know Christ in an ever deeper way so that I might live a life that is distinguished from the dead that I live among. I want to live a life that is reflective of God's life. And how am I doing that? I'm doing that by growing in my relationship with him. So that's what we're doing. We, uh, we are not working hard to secure a position in heaven. That is secure. What we're doing is we're giving ourselves so that we can experience in ever greater ways the depth of the riches of the knowledge of God whose ways are unsearchable, whose paths are beyond finding out. Listen, I, I'm as guilty as anybody on this, but listen, how is it that we have a relationship with the everlasting God and we settle for so much less most of the time. How is it that we do that? How is it that we're content to just have a very surface experience with him when there, there are, are depths and there are riches? Uh, all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And there's this un unfathomable thing. You know, if we took a billion years, if you had a billion years to seek out God you know what? By the end of a billion years, you still would not have sought him out thoroughly. It's impossible. If you couldn't find out the depths of God in a billion years, are you worried that you're going to exhaust it in 50 years? Of course you're not. It's never going to happen. So my point is this. We can go deeper and deeper. We can really go as deep as we want to go. Or we can remain as shallow as we want to be. You know, some people are content to just be ankle deep. Some get brave and say, well, you know, I'll get out to my knees, but that's as far as I'm going. There's a, there's a beautiful picture in uh, Ezekiel in the 40, 40th chapter there through the 40s, the end, of the, the end of the book, where it talks about this river and the prophet describes walking out into the river, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, chest deep, and then I was swimming in the river. And the river is a picture, it's, it's, it's a picture of the Spirit of God. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about going from 
just putting our feet in to going deeper and deeper with the Lord. That's the beautiful thing that we have. And this is what God is wanting. He's wanting to just take us deeper with himself. He's wanting us to know him in greater ways. And we do that, I think, best when we are secure in our position. It frees us up to just enjoy developing the relationship with God. I'm not under pressure. I'm not in fear. I'm not worried that I'm not going to make it. I'm not constantly thinking that God's upset at me, that he's disappointed, that he's mad because I haven't done something. That's already taken care of. Jesus did it. Positionally, I'm already in heaven. But here I am on earth, and I get to just grow in my relationship with my maker. And that's what the Galatians had forgotten. That's what they had lost. They had it, and they lost sight of it. And then everything went sideways. Everything got really, really bad. And as we go further in the epistle, we're going to see just how, how bad things had become among them. But Paul's whole purpose is to bring them back around to that place where they're resting in the finished work of Christ and they understand that we've entered into the blessing of Abraham and now we are just receiving through that personal engagement with the Lord, we are just receiving the blessing of his presence and becoming a blessing. You know, I'll close with this. We live in a very distressed world, don't we? And people are distressed over many things. And they're wondering about a lot of things. And there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of anger and, and so much that's happening. And we are the people that God wants to put forth as something different something different. And so rather than immersing ourselves in all the chaos and confusion and debate and, and all of that stuff that's happening, let's immerse ourselves in this relationship that we have with the maker, the Lord, our Savior. And as we do that, we experience the blessing and we become a blessing to others. And now let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource, so, Brian, I'm holding in my hands Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. This is a book you've been trying to get me to read, and I'm going to. Yes. You but tell me why I should read it you again. You've got to read this book. This book is tremendous. Rebecca is brilliant, and she kind of takes on all of the current 
questions and opposing views that come up against those who hold the Christian faith. And the the title of the book, you know, she's confronting Christianity. People are saying, well, Christians believe this and Christians did that. And she's just taking 12 of the current hardest questions that Christians are facing. Questions like, doesn't religion cause violence? Or how can you take the Bible literally? Doesn't Christianity denigrate women? Isn't Christianity homophobic? And she does a superb job in addressing these questions. And I think anybody today who's seriously thinking about what's going on in the culture and engaged in the culture, out in the workplace or wherever, this is a book you want to read because this is going to tremendously help you to have a good response when people bring these questions up because many are confronting Christianity and this book will help you to know how to answer those who are confronting Christianity. Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book Confronting Christianity by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin to prepare you to answer some of culture's most difficult questions regarding Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.